Before I jump into this sermon, I would just like to first just have a quick word of prayer, and we'll jump into the story of Acts chapter 3. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we're expecting big things um, from you this morning because you're the God who gives um, big things, Lord, and you, you always exceed our expectations. And I just pray that as we unpack this story, uh, may you give me clarity to present it, may you give us clarity to hear the message, and may it be something that is life-transforming. May every single person here in this room go home with a very specific um, message that you have given them, something to, to apply to their life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So to begin with, let's jump into Scripture, into um, Acts chapter 3. We're going to read from verse 1 to 10, and then we're going to start unpacking this story. So Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through to 10. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Let's leave the story there. In this story, we see a beggar, a middle-aged man. In in chapter 4, it says he was 40 years old. And this guy had been dealt one of the worst of hands that life can give. He couldn't walk. And so he would have had a life characterized with struggle and hardship and difficulty. And I, I can just imagine him when he was a young child growing up and watching all the other kids running and playing and climbing trees and doing all the fun things that, that up the kids like to do. And he would have always felt, man, I was, I'm always missing out. I'm always missing out on things. And day after day, um, some faithful friends, maybe they were, his, they were his family, would take him in a, in a blanket or on a stretcher or something and take him down to the temple, to the gate called the Beautiful Gate. And this, this gate... It would have been a beautiful gate because the temple was a very beautiful uh, building. However, the only thing that made it not beautiful was this beggar that was, that was um, lying there day after day after day. But he was there because this was one of the best places to beg. You see, when you're begging, there's a number of things that you need to make sure um, that, you, that you have in order to, to get lots of money. And it's kind of like busking. When I was in primary school, one of the things I used to do was go busking, get my saxophone out. We saw Dave on the saxophone this morning, myself and a, and a friend, and we used to go busking. And we had worked out the perfect formula for getting lots of money when busking. Okay? And so the first thing is you have to be really young. So we were in primary school at the age, and when you're young, you have this kind of cute factor which you lose when you get older. So the first thing, you need to be young. And then the second thing, you need to go somewhere where there's lots of people but not just a place where there's lots of people. Because you could go to the beach, and there's lots of people at the beach, but you need to be somewhere where there's lots of people that have sort of money on hand. And so it would go to the entrance to the shops. Thirdly, you've got to pick the right time to go go busking. And we found out the best time is um, lunchtime, when everyone's sort of out and about, Um, just before Christmas. If it's pension day as well, then it's even better. And you throw on a Santa hat, and you're just bound to get lots of money. 
and we would regularly get sort of $100 an hour plus when we were doing then. But as soon as I hit high school, I was no longer young, and the formula was broken. And so here we see this young, oh, this, this middle-aged man who's 40 years old, and he has, he's going to the temple at this gate because it has the formula right for, for, for begging. And people would have been going there. It's at the right time, um, the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. Crowds would have come in, and they would have had money to give to the offering. And it wouldn't be too much to give a little bit of that offering money to the beggars because that would, I mean, God would probably bless you if you helped help the beggars. And so they'll be sitting here. And because this is such a good place to go begging, chances are there would have been lots of other beggars there as well. And we know this because only a few months earlier, Jesus had actually gone to this very same, same spot to the temple, and these lame men and these um, blind people had come, and Jesus had healed them. But for some reason, this lame man had missed out on Jesus healing him. But that was the story of his life. He always missed out, whether it was running, whether it was whatever it is. He can't, seemed to be always missing out. And, but this day, this man is there. He's at the, he's at the gate. He's, he's, he's begging. He's, he's trying to get some money to survive. And he sees these two men in the distance coming towards him. And when they get there, um, he, he puts his head down. And we know this because later on in the story, um, Peter says, look at us. And from my, have you ever seen some people, people begging, whether it's in different countries? I've traveled to a pl- few places, such as India or a place like that, where you end up with lots of, lots of beggars there. And they usually have one of two postures. Either they, they sort of look up and they give you this sort of sad face, trying to bring about some sort of emotional um, sense of pity within you to, to, to give some things. Or when you come up close, they just sort of hang the head down and they ha- have the hands out. In, in humility and shame. And, and we can see that this person did this because he sees Peter and John and they come to him and when they get there, he hangs his head down and I can just imagine him saying something like, money, money for the poor, arms for the poor, um, help, can you help me, can you have me some money or something like that. And so at this point, he, he would have been just hoping that they were going to give him something. And I just, I sort of, I try to sort of think and imagine myself in the scene. And he's there, he's got his head down, and he's hearing the sandals come close, and suddenly they, they stop walking. And then he feels the shadow of, um, of Peter sort of rest upon him, and he's thinking, oh, here we go, I've got something coming here. And he's just holding his, his cup or his hands out, waiting to hear the, the coin drop, when suddenly Peter says, look at me. And he looks up, and he makes eye contact. And when he makes eye contact, he knows, he knows that he's got um, some money coming. But Peter says some words that are surprising to him. He says, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he, and he hears that name, Jesus. That's the name that, of that person that came to the temple earlier and was healing people. He would have known about this because all of his people, that probably his friends who he used to go begging with, probably weren't there anymore because Jesus had healed them, at least some of them. And so he would have heard that name, Jesus. And while he's thinking about this, Peter, he doesn't wait for him to get up himself. He reaches his hand down, he grabs onto his right hand and pulls him up. And as he does that, this, this, this beggar suddenly feels the power of God surging through his body. And he feels that his, that his feet and his ankles are made strong. And, he, and as he feels this, he just instinctively leaps to his feet. And I can just imagine how this incredible smile on his face, and he starts to sort of 
try to get used to his feet, and he starts walking, and then he starts running, and then he starts leaping, and, and he starts singing out praises to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God has healed me. God has healed me. And, and when this happens, this was a busy place at the temple, and I imagine people, are, they see this sort of commotion taking place, and what's happened here? And they start walking, and the text actually says that they, people started running, and all these people, they start running, and they're surrounding around Peter. And, and well, this, this man, he's been healed. Peter and John are there as well, and he's hanging on to them. And then Peter does what he does best, and he preaches. And the result of that sermon, it which will, results in um, the church expanding to the size of 5,000 people. So that's the story. Interesting little story, and a miraculous story, an amazing story. But the question for us today is, what does it mean? What does this story have for our life? How do we apply the lessons in here to something that will make our church and, and ourselves better people, more in tune with what God is doing in this world? And I told you last time that I, I preached here that one of the reasons we're going through the book of Acts is because we're in the process of developing a new vision for this church. And what better place to learn about um, what our church is supposed to look like than to look back to what it looked like at the very beginning. And so to guide us in unpacking this story, I have for us three questions. What should we do? What should we expect? And what should we give? And these three questions are all related to um, us as a church. And maybe you're here um, as a a person here for the very first time, and, and this is you as an individual as well. What should we do? What is it that Jesus expects for us? What should our church um, do? And when I was studying theology, I learned that there's many different ideas about what we should do as a church. You read the books, and there's this model and that model, and, and there's, there's, there's so many different ideas, but who do we listen to? Is there some sort of ultimate model that we should be following? So what should we do? Secondly, what should we expect? Maybe you've grown up going to church, and your, your idea of church has looked like whatever, whatever it is that you've experienced. But is that what church should look like? Are we, what, what should we expect? What, what should we expect for the future of God's church? And second, thirdly, what should we give? What is our role in contributing to the work and the mission that Jesus has here um, in, in this world? So let's, let's dig into this. To start off with, we're looking at the question, what should we what should we do? And I want to um, focus in on a verse. In, well, we're going to go to verse 3 and 4. So look at Acts chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. And it says, Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. Is there some sort of significance in the fact that they made this, this eye contact, this very real eye contact with this beggar. As I said, when I went to India, I discovered there's a lot of beggars in this world, especially in India. And when you hop off the bus in India, in certain parts, especially in a big city such as Mumbai or somewhere like, or Delhi, often you're greeted with a whole lot of people wanting something from you. And I can remember times when you hop off and there might be five or ten different people with their hands out wanting something, but people often tell you, don't give them anything. Because if you give one, then all of a sudden you'll be swamped by 10 or 15 or 20 of them. And it can actually even get dangerous sometimes in those sorts of situations. And so, um, so I'm there and, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm coming across all these, 
all these different beggars. And one of the first things I learned was the easiest way to get through without having to give the beggars something and the easiest way to, to get past all the whether they're beggars, whether they're just people trying to sell you something, is not to make eye contact with them. And if you've been in these sorts of places, you probably have had the same experience. So you'll be walking past, and there might be a beggar sitting there who, with all sorts of issues. And you're walking past, and you kind of you look around them, maybe look through them, but you don't acknowledge that they're there. And if they see you doing that, they sort of just, oh, they just let you walk past. Because if you do the opposite, and you walk past, and you make that genuine eye contact with them, suddenly they latch onto you. Suddenly they have an expectation that you're going to give, um, give them something. So that's the first reason you don't usually make eye, co- eye contact. But secondly, it's emotionally easier not to make eye contact with them. When you see someone who's really hurting and struggling and you look into their eyes and you see the pain and the, the hardship that they're, they're going through, it does something within you. And I can remember times Afterwards, at night, when I'd, I'd open my, up my Bible and, and be praying, and, and just, just my conscience is just burdening me with, what was I supposed to do with those beggars that I saw there? Should I have given them something? Should I not have? Um, was there something else I could have done? Sure. What would Jesus have done if he was in those same situations? And so, emotionally, you sort of start to get attached, and then you kind of feel responsible to help that person. And so... One of the easiest things is just to, to walk past and just pretend that they're not there. Maybe they're kind of invisible and just sort of not make eye contact. But Peter and John do something very different. They come in there and they say, look at us. This person who would have been used to being neglected and, and ignored suddenly has this, this eye contact and he's expecting something from them. Now, what, an interesting thing when we look at the life of Jesus is that Jesus did very similar things. In Mark chapter 6, as the story goes, Jesus is with his disciples, and he gets word that John the Baptist has been beheaded, okay? And so Jesus immediately would have been overwhelmed with, with sorrow and, 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 and would have felt a need to, to grieve the loss of his relative and his friend. And so he gets the disciples together, and he says, let's go across the lake and find an isolated place, a place all by ourselves so we can we can grieve the loss of John the Baptist. And so they hop onto this boat and they start going across the lake. And as they start going, some people recognize, they recognize Jesus going on the boat. And so while he's going across the boat, they start running. And they run right around the outside of the lake to the other side. And they see, and they, wait, and they get there to wait for Jesus. So Jesus is there and he's, he's all, um, he's wanting to get a place by himself. And he gets to the other side. And it says here in, in chapter 6, verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Now, are there any intro- introverts here in the, in the crowd in, I'm listening today? Here, Jesus wanted to be alone. And he's trying to get alone. And where he goes to be alone, he suddenly sees this great crowd of people. And I'm sure all the introverts understand how Jesus would be feeling at this point. Probably the extroverts as well. And so Jesus sees them, and he could have done, he could have just gone the other direction. He could have got back in the boat and gone back to the other side of the, of the lake. But instead, he, he says... Um, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, so he sees them, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. So here we see that Jesus is not afraid to make real, genuine contact and, and really look at these people who are in need. He could have ignored them, brushed over them, but rather he really he, he gets them. And, and the lesson for us is that we need to be people who pay attention to 
the people who have needs in our society around us. We need to listen to them, sympathize with them, um, empath- um, put ourselves in their shoes, and really um, try to um, be present in the lives of people. So that's um, the first part in this. But secondly, Peter, when he prayed, he didn't just look at him, but he reached down and he grabbed his right hand and he pulled him up. Now, when we read the story, did you notice at what stage the man was healed? If you missed it, let's jump back to the passage. Acts chapter 3 and verse 7. It says this, And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. At what stage were his feet and ankles made strong? Immediately after he reached down, and grabbed, grabbed him. And so Peter here, he could have done, he could have done two things. He could have, he could have just prayed, because God is powerful to, God could, God could have um, helped him to raise to his feet himself, couldn't he? He prayed, and he, he, God, is, God is powerful. And Peter could have just said, called upon the name of the Lord and said, be healed, and just waited and just let him get healed himself. But rather what Peter does is he, he, um, he works to answer the prayer um, that he, he prayed. He actually, he labors for the very thing that he asked of God. Now, I've got a picture for you here on the screen. Oh, here it is. And this sort of illustrating, the, this is to illustrate the point that I'm sort of trying to make. When I was, this is in Kenya. So I was in Kenya and we we're preaching there. And one of the things that we got to do was go and visit people in their homes. So you go down these little places, little mud huts and um, these these place, places often they don't have electricity or anything, and you go into their homes and you'd go there and you'd just listen to the various struggles and the challenges and joys that people have, and often would say a prayer for them that God would help them in, in their in their time of need, and and you'd move on. I met this man, and when I came to him, he was really unwell. He couldn't walk very well, and he um, he had these really bad shakes. And he was really hoping that that would be be able to pray for him and maybe bring some sort of relief to his situation. And I get there, I'm like, well, I'm not a doctor, so maybe I'll just just pray for this person. So we said this really earnest prayer, and and I think my my job's done. And so I go back to the the place where we're staying, and afterwards, they call on us again to come back there. Oh, what's this? So I go there, and we get to this, this little hut again, and the people around there, and they say, oh, we've heard that in Australia, there's this special drug that can fix this person's problem. And I'm like, so I guess maybe because I'm from Australia, that's why they've called us here. And they asked us to go, when we go back to Australia, to go and find this drug and to send it, mail it back to this, this person to heal him. And I'm thinking, well, I don't think we're going to do that. I don't know if customs or quarantine or anything will even allow us to do such a thing. Plus, I wouldn't know what this drug is in the first place. And these people are really worried. And so the same sort of thing I decided to do. Well, let's just pray for this person. And so we got there, we got down on our knees, and, and we, we prayed earnestly for this person. But while I was doing that, I was sort of becoming a little bit convicted that maybe there's something I can do to help this person. Maybe instead of just praying for them, maybe I can do something to help answer those prayers. And at that point, I realized, I remembered, the actual, well, I didn't, I, knew, I didn't forget this, but I thought, well, my, I guess my dad's a doctor back home, and maybe I can sort of write him a letter and just to ask him about his, tell him about his condition and say, is there some special drug in Australia? Even though I don't think there is. Just to give them some, him some sort of peace of mind. So I did that. I went and wrote this email back to my dad. 
And he said, oh, this is really interesting. Why don't you um, tell us more about his condition and we'll see if we can diagnose him. And so I'm like, oh, okay. So I went back to him a third time and I got my camera out and we started filming him, like touching your nose and walking and all this sort of stuff. And I got the video and I sent it back to my dad and he got the different doctors at his work to sort of look at this video. And at the end of that, they, they sent me a response saying, he's got Parkinson's disease. And these are the, the various medications and things that you can do to help him with his shakes and to help him with his condition. And so I thought, oh, wow. So I gave that to him. But the lesson I learned from that is, so often we pray that God will inter- intervene in people's lives, but then we sit back and we say, all right, God, do your thing. Work your miracles. When often the, the answers that God wants to give people are through the person who's doing the prayer as well. And, and the point that I really think is, is a powerful point from this is that while the power belonged to Jesus, the hand belonged to Peter. Okay? So the power belonged to Jesus, but the hand belonged to Peter. Now, Jesus did very similar things to Peter as well, we notice um, in, in, the, in the Gospels. At one stage, this was a, um, Jairus' daughter. He was, she had died, and Jesus was going to raise her from the dead. And it says, But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. Here we see Jesus again taking her by the hand. Another, another spot here. This is when there was a demon-possessed man, and Jesus, again, it says in the bold letters, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Another example, this is, this is Peter's mother-in-law. Remember, it's Peter who's doing this, this miracle with the lame man. It says, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. What is Jesus teaching us What is Jesus teaching us in in the way that he went about these miracles? And I believe the lesson for us is this, that while we are to pray for people, we're also to to make real, genuine contact in those people's lives. Let's not just be idle prayers, but when we pray, let's lay before the very things that we pray for and help people like this. Um, We'll skip over that one there. Okay, so what should we do? Now, one of the things that really stands out to me with the way that Peter goes about healing this person is he's very sure about the way that he, he goes about doing this. He's very confident. He's very bold. Do you notice that? He comes in and he just says, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. He knows exactly what he's doing. How did he know exactly what he was doing? When I've been in situations with similar situations with beggars and people like that, often I feel like I have no idea what to do. But here he's so confident. And I think one of the reasons why he is so confident is because everything that he does is just mirroring, uh, is is very similar to what Jesus had done previously to that. Remember the same thing, looking into the eyes, grabbing them by the hand, raising them to their feet. And so we see that he's just copying Jesus. You might say he's plagiarizing Jesus, except he gives God the credit later on in in the story as well. And I think that's a lesson for us. What do we do as a church? What do we do as Christians? We copy and we imitate the things that Jesus does. And we see that Peter had such a a good knowledge of who Jesus was. He'd spent this time watching and learning from Jesus that by the end, when he's doing things like this, he just knew what to do because he knew what Jesus would do in that situation. Question number one. Question number two, what should we expect? Let's go back to the story. In verse chapter four, it says, And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, 
look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So here we see this man, he looks up and he's expecting to get something. What's he expecting? Money. Would he have been happy with money? He probably would have been. I think he probably would have been happy to get a few dollars. But what does he get instead? He gets his legs. Okay. And one thing we learn from this is that God is in... That's gone. God is in the business of exceeding our expectations. Okay? Ephesians 3.20. Now, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. So God is in the business of exceeding our expectations, going above and beyond the things that we ask, and even the greatest things that we could think. This man's there thinking, If only I could get a few dollars, I will be happy. But he gets his legs. But another interesting that thing that came to my mind as, when I was thinking about this was this man would have grown up watching the people running around, the other kids, and been thinking, if only I had my legs, I would be happy. If only I had my legs, I would be able to do this, I'd be able to do that, I'd be able to run, I'd be able to go to this place, go on these adventures, do all these different things. If I only had my legs, I would be happy. But I thought about something, and that is, the majority of unhappy people in the world have working legs. Okay? And so he would have thought, his, his greatest expectations would have been to, to, to get his legs. Okay? So firstly, he would want money. God went one further and gave him, Peter went one further and, and through God's help gave him his legs. But there's actually a greater miracle that takes place in this story. And we're going to get to that in a moment. Um, just a moment. Okay, really important point with expectations. Jump down to verse 11. I'm going to read from 11, 3 to 13. It says, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Now, there's a really interesting thing in this passage here. All these people are gathering around Peter. Peter stands up there, and they're like, wow, look at this person. He's been healed. He's got his legs. Blah, 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 blah. And Peter says, why are you surprised at this? What were you expecting? And he's, this, I find that kind of an unusual thing that he says. And he goes on to say, the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob, and he starts talking about the God of heaven. If we serve the Creator God, if we serve the God of the Bible, then we should be expecting great things to take place in, in our church and in our lives and when we pray. One, I remember one time I was on a Pathfinder expedition. And we're going, and we're going hiking through. We got up really early in the morning, maybe like 5 a.m. in the morning. And we've been walking through the dark for quite a while. And we get to this spot. Um, and we, we, got, right, we need to take our bearings again. So we get the map out and we look at... Um, we get the map out, and we're trying to find our way, and our leader goes, oh, where are my glasses? He lost his glasses. And had been way back along the path, in the grass somewhere. We've been walking for a good half an hour, and we think, how are we going to find these glasses, these tiny little things? But we go back, and we start walking, and we're walking along. And while we're walking, I'm thinking, I think, oh, man, we should pray for these glasses. We should pray that God helps us to find them. But I sort of put it off for a while, and eventually I think, no, I've got to pray for this. And I, and I say, all right, let's, let's stop and let's pray for these glasses. And so we pray, and then 
We'd already walked for 20 minutes or so. And we get around, and we go, all right, let's keep walking. Go around the corner, and then suddenly, those glasses were there, literally around the corner, fogged up, reflecting the light. And I was just, I remember just being like, whoa, God's answered our prayer. But shouldn't we expect him to answer our prayers? If God is the God of the universe, if he is the creator God, then we should expect exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask for or think of. And so there I was, I prayed for it, but I was surprised when I got an answer. And I think so often we, we are like that in our, in, our, in our lives. And it says something, and maybe, and it gets me thinking, maybe the reason we don't pray as much is that we don't think God's really going to answer our prayers. And so if we truly have faith and we truly believe in God, and we truly expect great things from God, then he will do great things in our life. So back to the greater miracle that we see in this story. Okay, so, so this man, remember, he was the most he could have expected was, was the coins. He doesn't get that, but he gets his legs, and he's like, wow. But there's a greater miracle that takes place in here, and we're going to read from... Acts chapter 3, verse 11, and we're going to read through a section of the speech that Peter gives. Acts chapter 3, verse 11. It says, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power of piety we have made this man walk? He goes on to say, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see now, and and the faith that through Jesus has given this man the perfect health in the presence of you all. He goes on. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. So here we see that, G- that Peter um, doesn't just give him his legs, but he gives him Jesus. Amen? And we need to remember that the greatest miracle that we see in this story is someone coming to a saving relationship with Jesus and all these other people around. That's the greatest miracle. And it goes on to say about when we repent in Jesus that we'll receive the restoration of all things, not just our legs. And that's really the hope that we have. Now let's go to throughout our final point. So what should we do? What should we expect? And what should we give? What is God asking us to give? Now, the phrase that Peter uses, he says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. And that's the answer. We give what we have. And so when it comes to the church, it comes to our involvement in the church, what we need to do is, is look, at our, look in the mirror and think, what are some of the skills, what are some of the talents, what are some of the, the various things that God has given us, and how can I use those things in order to give back to God. Now, when Peter gives this speech, he says some really um, 
He says some really strong words. It's a really strong speech. And as I read these words, I want you to remember that Peter is the person who denied Jesus, okay? And as, just keep that in your back of mind, and I'm going I'm to read to you these verses. Acts chapter 3, verse 12 to 15. And it says, And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power of piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. What's he accusing them of in this, these, these verses? Denying Jesus. Can you see that? He comes there and he says, you denied the holy and righteous one. You denied Jesus in the, in the very presence of Pilate. Now who's Peter to say these things? Who is Peter to point out and rebuke them for denying Jesus? You remember Peter, just before they denied Jesus before Pilate, Peter is there and he, in, in, in the high priest, the court of the high priest, he's there and he's, um, he's approached by the servant girl. Are you the one that was with Jesus? And what does Peter say? Wasn't me. Who are you talking about? I don't know who you are. Twice and three times, Peter denies Jesus. And so Peter's there, and he's, he's, he's denying Jesus. And so in, this, in, the, in, the, in the sermon now, we see Peter rebuking them for the very things that he committed. Now, is he being hypocritical here? Is he being fake, do you think? If you saw someone down in, in, at, at the house or in, down at the town or whatever it was, doing something during the week, and then at church they came to you and they said, you did dot, 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 dot. Would you feel a little bit um, offended by that? Would you be like, who are you to tell me these things? But here we see Peter saying, you denied the holy and righteous one. You denied Jesus in the very presence of Pilate. How is he able to do this? Well, what he's really saying is he's saying that I want you to have the same experience that I had. Okay? He's saying, you've denied him. I've been there as well. You've, you've, you've um, been responsible for the death of Jesus. I'm there as well. And in verse, I think it's verse 19, he says, Repent therefore and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. The word blotted out there is, is a word that is, it was often used for um, erasing, erasing the, um, when they had the, the ancient papyrus, the papyri, the, the the old the ancient paper that they had. And the ink wouldn't actually sort of soak into the paper like, like we have today. And so it would sort of sit on the surface and they would just wash the paper and it would just completely disappear. It'd be like there'd be no trace of it as well. And that's what the word blotted out means. So, so Peter here is saying, repent and have your sins blotted out. What I want you to do is get out your... Your connect cards, can you see those? And if there's any extra ones, can we have the the deacons hand those around? If you don't have one of these cards, just raise your hand and the deacons will, will give you one.
And the reason we have these cards is we want to make every one of these sermons practical. We want every one of these sermons to be something that we can apply um, to your life. And so we have a number of decisions you can make on these sermons based on, on this story. Okay, so you got the card? The first decision is I want to get my hands dirty with the acts of Jesus. Okay? Okay, so often we, we think that being a Christian and going to church is something we just do and, and we sit back, but we don't really get involved in, in what's happening. And so the first one is I want to get my, act, my hands dirty with the acts of Jesus. Let's not just be people who pray for God to do miraculous things, but let's be people who actually labor for that very thing that we pray for. Secondly, I want to live with God-sized expectations. If God answers our prayers and we're super-duper surprised, maybe we're not living with God-sized expectations. And, and so if there's something that you want to pray for, um, also in that as well, we have a spot on the back that you can put prayer requests, and we'll give those to our prayer team. But if you want to live and pray with God-sized expectations, I encourage you to tick that box there. Now, thirdly, I need and accept the forgiveness that Peter experienced. Peter's experience was one of stuffing up big time. He, he stuffed up and, and he knew it. He denied his Jesus and he was very regretful for the things that he'd done. But when Jesus resurrected from the grave, he found in Jesus the forgiveness to wash his sins away. And because Jesus forget, washed his sins away, he was able to then stand up and invite other people into that very same forgiveness. And so we need to have a deeper and more real experience with Jesus. And so, if that's you, I need to accept the forgiveness that Peter experienced. Now, fourthly, I want to share what I have. Okay? If you have experienced Jesus, and you want to have a desire to share that with um, the people around you, in the community, and that sort of thing, we have two options, that, two options to tick that box, and, and there's two options on the right that you might want to tick if this is you. Um, leading a small group or learning how to give Bible studies. Okay, so not everyone will tick the, these boxes, but if you would like to learn more about how to um, share what you have by leading a small group or learning how to give Bible studies, tick that. And we have the other options there, of receiving Bible studies or getting baptized. What I want to leave you with is just simply the answers to these three questions. What should we do? We are to plagiarize Jesus, okay? But give him the credit. Copy the things he do. Let's be, let's be people who have a real genuine connection with Jesus, and let's share that. Secondly, what should we expect? Let's not be people who just expect God to do little things, like give us a couple coins. But let's expect God to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could hope or think. Um, and let's pray as people who expect God to do big things. And thirdly, what should we give Let's be people who have genuinely and deeply experienced the forgiveness and the love of Jesus, and let's go about sharing that with this world. I'd like to invite the, um, the singers up to do their final song. And while they're doing this, I'd also like to invite the deacons to come and sh- pass those containers around. And so just put, if you grab one of the pens that you'll hand at the door, just put that in the container as well as the Connect card. And this song is on the old rugged cross. And as we sing this song, I just want you to remember that Peter could stand up there because he had experienced Jesus, and we can do the same.
So can we have the deacons come and start collecting the cards?
Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just pray that, that you will help us to go out being um, present in people's lives this week. Help us to really see people, not glance over them as if they're invisible, Lord, but really genuine see people and go about doing things to meet those needs. And Lord, when we've done that, just like you did, I just pray that you'll help us to, to, to share, people with, share people the very experience with the old rugged cross that we've had ourselves. Like Peter did, he said, he said, you've denied Jesus, but I've done the same thing, and I know where I, you can find forgiveness. And may that be our attitude as well, we pray. Be with us as we go into this week. Um, help us to enjoy the rest of the Sabbath, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.